Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. What's happening, Crosswalk? How you guys doing? Good? Man. Okay, so 1030 was like slammed. Like there was no seats. There's 50, 60 people standing. But they did not have the vibe that you guys just did. So you killed it, man. The, the whole band. No, the whole band came off like, we don't know what happened. They, just got, they got crazy. It was awesome. So thank you, guys. Thank you for being here today. We, uh, I, thank you for braving the storm that was coming in, the atmospheric river. You made it? Yeah, it's not raining. Um, Listen, uh, we're in week five of this series, and hopefully this series has um, meant something to you. We've heard from a lot of you reaching out, letting us know. We so appreciate that because we really, um, as we build these series and we do these months ahead of time, myself and Patty McCoy and Dave Ferguson from Chattanooga and Portland, um, there's just this, like, we're praying through it. We're hoping that it means something. And so I think that um, by the responses that we've gotten and just the general feel, we, you know, you've appreciated, we've appreciated doing it. Next week is a campus week, which means it's kind of a free-for-all on all our campuses. They're going to have live speakers most of the places. And, um, and so we'll be in between series. And then we begin our invitation series, which will lead us up into Easter. And so we want to make sure that you're a part of that and engage with that. So make sure you're getting the series guide. Make sure you've got the app. All those different kinds of things that keep you engaged in all the work that, um, that is coming out of Crosswalk because it's pretty pretty incredible. And as you know, since we're on this last week, let's talk a little bit about last, what happened since we're on this last week. Let's talk about what happened last week. Bad sentence structure. Um, We spoke of what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from him and to acknowledge and live in the presence of God. If we can use the metaphors that we've been using, it is to be in the garden and be connected to the vine, right? We're going to talk about today, spiritual disciplines. And while this is John's expertise, I thought it would be okay that I step into it so you don't think that we've just farmed out all discipleship to John because all of us believe in not just discipleship as a program, but discipleship as a lifestyle and a living. And so I wanted to let you know how serious I'm about it as well. The first question we're simply going to ask is what are spiritual disciplines, right? Spiritual disciplines are not the desired end product of a spiritual life but rather they are a means to an end. And keep that in your mind. They are a means to an end. They are the intentional development of, authentic spirit, of an authentic spiritual life and intimacy with God. And that takes time and it takes activity. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Disciplines, says God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life to receive his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. They are a means of grace. 
Now, he also uses the, the metaphor of the road, and he says put, they put you on the road to spiritual growth and spiritual transformation, but they are not the vehicle that gets you there, but they put you in the right place. The vehicle that gets you there is the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the bus you get onto, but he, this, they put you on the road in the right place. Dallas Willard, one of John's mentors, teachers, and friends, he reminds us often, um, is, no, I'm just kidding. Um, sort of. He says, he says this in his book, Spirit of Disciplines. A discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to that, a, that enables us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Henry Nouwen, another spiritual great, says, whereas discipline without discipleship leads to rigid formalism, discipleship without discipline ends in sentimental romanticism. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. And then probably my favorite kind of spiritual growth and spiritual transformation expert says this about it. The spiritual disciplines are actions we can take in our everyday lives to live a life at the feet of Jesus, growing in intimacy with him as his beloved and learning from him how to live in his kingdom now. That comes from John Ciccarelli. Amen. Yeah. All right. And you notice everybody else had a book. I just got that in a text from John on Thursday. So, but it's good. It's good. Um, let's ask the question, maybe where did the spiritual disciplines come from, right? To be clear, we're talking about the biblical spiritual disciplines. They come from scripture. That's where they all come from. And there's some points about this that we need to know. Not just that they come from scripture, but some things about them that we need to know. First of all, they are personal and corporate as expressed in scripture, Right? Scripture prescribes both personal and interpersonal or corporate spiritual disciplines. For example, prayer. Prayer can be done quietly in a prayer closet or alone. It can also be done communally. We've done it together today. Right? We practice both of these because Jesus did as well. And the spiritual disciplines are concerned with doing and being. So, just to be clear, they are activities that we do. They are not attitudes that we have, but they are activities that we do. The disciplines are practices. They're not the fruits of the Spirit, although they lead us towards the fruit of the Spirit. Rather, they are the things that we do. So, for instance, when you read the Bible and engage in the discipline of study, that is something you are actually doing, right? It's a spiritual discipline. When you meditate on Scripture, when you pray, when you fast, when you worship, when you learn, and so forth. These are all activities that we do. Now, the goal of practicing any given discipline is not about doing as much, not about doing as much as it is about becoming or being, right? Being like Jesus. Some of you grew up uh, around the same time I did, and you might remember the ad campaign, Be Like Mike. You remember that? To be like Michael Jordan? Yep. And we were all excited about it. And then we all went to play basketball and all realized, nope, can't do it. Um, the reason why we couldn't do it, though, is because we were not disciplined. We thought we could eat the cereal and then go and be like Mike. That's not going to work, right? You've got to be engaged in the same practices that Mike was engaged in and the same practices that Jesus was engaged in, right? And the truth is this, by doing, we grow in being. We accept that there's a need to practice these disciplines. And these disciplines help us change imperceptibly, though. Right? Many of you have started a new workout regimen, whether it's at the beginning of the year or you're just like, it's time. I'm going to get fit. I'm ready. And then you do it for like six weeks and nobody said a word. You know, and you're walking around like... <laughs> nobody says anything, right? And then like eight weeks in, your wife goes, you look a little different. And you're like... 
been holding that pose for four weeks. So you look a little different. But it's not like, wow, you've been working out. It's, you look a little different. Right? When it comes to the spiritual disciplines, much the same. Except that those imperceptible changes don't end with, hey, you look pretty good. Those imperceptible changes hopefully culminate in, I see Jesus in you. I know the Father more because of you. Because of the way that you're living your life and modeling who Jesus is. Right? We do these things because they were modeled in Scripture. Right? We're talking about the things that were practices that were modeled in the Bible. Just for the record, not every spiritual discipline is a biblical spiritual discipline. Right? There's lots of different disciplines and lots of different even faith traditions. Not everyone is a biblical spiritual tradition. We need to pay, I think, most close attention to the ones that Jesus were engaged in. The other spiritual disciplines can be beneficial, absolutely, but they should never take away from our understanding or minimize the things that Jesus did because these disciplines are promoted in Scripture. Right? 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and training of righteousness. So whatever else might be beneficial, what other practices you might have that might be beneficial, Scripture has spoken to particular practices that are edifying to the disciple because they came from God. Other kinds may benefit, surely, but the ones promoted in Scripture are worthy of note. And they are derived not just from Scripture, but directly from the gospel. We see them in the life and teachings of Jesus Rightly practice the spiritual disciplines take us deeper into the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, never away from them. But we understand that they are a means, they are not an end, right? They are a means to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says that. We're not godly just because we practice the spiritual disciplines. They are a means to godliness, to intimacy, and to learning from Jesus. But I'll tell you what. I know lots of people who are engaged in spiritual disciplines and are not necessarily godly. Friends, I, I, let me use an example. We're going into this election year and it's going to be contentious. And you all are on social media, as is your pastor. Here's some things I don't want to see this year. I don't want to see you say, oh man, I spent a half hour with God this morning. It was so beautiful, so refreshing. And then say horrible things in your next post. Okay. Also, while we're on it, um, don't post about Crosswalk Church and then tear people new ones right afterwards. Right? Make a new account for that. <laughs> or maybe don't do it. That's another option. I suppose I should put that one out first. Um, yeah, just because you do something doesn't mean you're gaining the benefit of that thing. Right? The goal of, the, the purpose of these disciplines is to put us in a place where God can continue to transform us, but we have to be willing to be transformed, right? And the truth is these disciplines, they're not natural, right? We do them because they're not natural. They're not intuitive, right? I need to make a conscious effort to do them. I need to wake up in the morning. I need to decide I'm going to do these things. I wouldn't just fall into them naturally. And when I don't feel like doing them, it is the discipline that brings me back to it. Again, if you started a workout program the first few months, it's just, it's just so hard to do. But after a few months, when you don't do it, all of a sudden you feel like you're missing something, right? Same thing. G.K. Chesterton, who has been known for a very sardonic pen, 
in his book, What's Wrong with the World, writes this. Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. So whether or not he was totally serious in this particular excerpt, I'm not sure. But there is almost a universal belief in the immense difficulty of being a real Christian who follows Jesus. Even the word discipline is daunting, isn't it? We don't like that. We're like, I came to Christianity for the freedom. I mean, Adventists don't say that. That's, we, 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 we struggle with that. We're not like, uh, freedom. Um, that's sorry. That's, that's low-hanging fruit. That's not fair. It's true. It's not fair. But even the word discipline makes us nervous, right? No one likes to be disciplined, but we do like to be disciplined. But there is some caution when we talk about the spiritual discipline, right? There's some things we should be cautious about. Because spiritual disciplines are not the same as spiritual maturity. You understand that, right? Just because you're doing something doesn't mean, again, that you're gaining the benefit of it. They are not the same as spiritual maturity. They are intended to enable and foster spiritual growth and transformation. Spiritual maturity is in the purview of the Holy Spirit. Do you know how we know if you're spiritually mature? Love is just exuding out of you. The more spiritually mature you are, the more love is experienced around who you are. Right? That's how we know that you're spiritually mature. Right? That does not necessarily happen because of the disciplines, but it will be harder to be spiritually mature without them. Also, the spiritual disciplines are not unlike any other methodology in which we seek to become more disciplined, right? In a more disciplined approach to God. But there's a danger that these methodologies may become a trap for a more legalistic approach to the spirituality. In other words, we will supplant our activity for the spirituality and therefore become legalistic about the activity. If I don't do this, I can't be spiritual. And then you know what we do? When we get legalistic about things, we like to lord it over other people. You know, we've all got that friend who's like, I get up at four in the morning to study the Bible. What do you do? Like sleep, right? They're the same people who say they don't have TVs in their house, right? No, I don't really watch TV. I don't trust those people. I mean, I don't watch TV. I watch it on an iPad. It's much smaller. Goes around with me everywhere I go. Um, you guys get a lot more than everybody else. Just so you know, because at this point, I'm like, well, they're not going to fire me now. The day's almost over. So I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff. Probably not appropriate. Um, what are they talking about? We can become legalistic in the way that we do the spiritual disciplines, and then they are not as, they're not the kind of benefit that we were hoping for, right? We've made them into the idol rather than allowing God to be the God that we worship, or allowing them to be the, the road that helps move us towards uh, a better intimacy and learning from Jesus, right? They do not guarantee spiritual growth, but they open the opportunity for growth by creating space for God to allow good things to happen. Now, how many different disciplines are there? And I've spoken on the spiritual disciplines before, and this is a very big screen, and we have put lists and lists of all the different disciplines. And here's the thing. When you start to really engage and study this, whether you're reading a book or whether you're even going on the internet and saying, hey, what are the spiritual disciplines? You're going to get a, a ridiculous amount of lists, right? Biblical spiritual disciplines, if that's what you're going to search out. And go ahead and do that. However, I'm just going to keep it simple for this one. I'm going to talk about three inward disciplines, and I'm going to talk about three outward disciplines just to keep it simple. So the inward disciplines include disciplines where the spiritual self-awareness marks our journey toward Christ-likeness throughout our lifetime. 
that we are more aware of what we are becoming and how we are becoming more like our Lord, which drives us further up and further in to God. And the first one that we almost always begin with is simple. It's prayer, right? Prayer changes me and it changes me inwardly, right? Luke 5.15, it says, despite Jesus' instructions, because he had just told someone to not tell them about the healing he had done, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. So Jesus is right in the momentum of his ministry. Like things are happening, people are coming, this is really great, it's super exciting, everyone's excited about it. But it says Jesus in the next text, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer because he needed to be filled up, he needed to know his God. I like what P.T. Forsyth says about prayer. He says, prayer is to faith what research is to science. Sometimes you've got to get away and do the work, right? Understand the questions that you're asking. Understand what it is that you need to be able to say. We do this by stepping into a prayerful relationship with God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. To pray is to change, says Richard Foster. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. In prayer, we learn to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to do the things he wills. A couple weeks ago, we said that as you follow this journey with Christ, one of the things that happens is your words become his words. The words that he is whispering into your heart and your life become your prayers. So when he says, you know, pray and I will give it to you, it's because he knows that you're praying what he desires anyway. Same thing. That's what prayer does. Puts us in his thoughts, puts us in his desires, puts us in his will. Acts of the Apostles 6.4, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. How would you define prayer as a spiritual discipline? It's God's chosen method of access into his presence. Hanging with God where my nature catches glimpses of eternity. We catch up with God and what he is doing in our lives, in our community, and in our world. This is the practice of heaven. Right? But that's just one. Let's take another one on fasting. Right? Fasting um, and wilderness experiences played a crucial role in the great leaders of the Bible. And fasting is a method to kind of get us out. It disrupts, right? Fasting disrupts our normal behavior and it gets us thinking about something else. You know, fasting is scriptural because in Matthew 6, 16, this is what Jesus says. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. I love it when Jesus says stuff like that. He's like, oh, you're going to talk about it again? No, that's all you get. Keep bragging. Right? But he says to you, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Remember, this is an inward discipline. I feel like when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. He would have said, brush your teeth. Right? Intentionally denying and controlling my physical desires and sensitivity actually increases my spiritual strength and sensitivity because it's a disruption. It stops what we normally do, it stops the flow that we normally have in life and changes it, right? Matthew 6, 18, just to finish out the thought, he says, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you for it, right? Sometimes it is used as a break in a pattern of conformance to the things of this world. This is why 
you know, they didn't do this in the first century, but we sometimes fast from social media because it has become so much in the flow of who we are and what we do. It's the first thing we reach for. It's the last thing we see. You think about that, right? That's, that's changing the way you think about life when it has that much time. Do you get that little, that little alert every week that tells you how much screen time you've had? That's just shame. So every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, no, some of that's work. Not that much, but some of it's work, right? So we fast because it's a break in the pattern of our lives, and that moves us into a spiritual awareness that we might not have had before. Right, that's the second one. Third one is study. And I think this is imperative. I don't think we can get away from study if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Knowing the truth is, the foundational, is foundational for the discipline and sets you on the path to freedom from misunderstanding. And there's so much misinformation out in the world today, Right? And, and like, that's not even nefarious. You understand when I say that? I'm not even saying that's nefarious. The way we get truth today, as opposed to the way we got truth 25 years ago, has changed so dramatically that the nature of truth has changed. It's an epistemological problem. We don't need to get into that because it's lunchtime. And I understand that talking about epistemology before lunch is not good for anyone's digestion. However, it's an epistemological problem. We live in a world where there are so many truths, it's hard to find truth. And so we believe that there's no truth. Right? Because we do that, people who are faithful Christians then begin to question things that they know to be true because they have actually experienced it in God because there is so much other information coming at them. And so what happens is you have people saying, oh, it's the death of truth. There's no truth. That's not true. Right? But we have to be studying for ourselves and we have to be studying from the source. You have to be engaged in Scripture. This is why we send out scripture to you every single day through our podcast, through our blogs, through everything, through Abide the Abide podcast, the Discipleship podcast. Every single day we are sending you more information that's coming about scripture and is scripture. We do that because we want you to be deeply engaged in the discipline of study. And we make it easy for you. It's like six minutes a day. You can do it literally walking from your bedroom to the kitchen. I mean, you may have to go around the hallway a couple times, but like, it's really quick. We want you to know. Romans 12 too, right? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, right? The way you think. Study means understanding and knowing God better from the accounts of his actions and the desires of his heart that is reflected in scripture. And we want you to do this for yourself because I'm only up here for a half hour a week and that's not enough time to know who God is. And you need to be engaged in the study and worship of God through your own understanding. It's really important. So those are the three inward disciplines. Now, we're gonna talk about three outward disciplines. And these are you know, ones that are expressed you know, outside of us. People can know, people can see when you're engaged in these. And the first one is one that I don't think gets on as many lists as it should. It's simplicity, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. 
Maybe I read that wrong. Let me read it again. Uh, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as you were instructed before. Simplicity is freedom from the worldly values of aggregation, of getting more stuff. And it brings joy and balance. You understand that hoarding is bondage to this world, right? Listen, this has been a tough week for me because I'm preaching this this week. And I don't know if you know what came out this week, but for those of you who are fans of the, the company named Apple, it came out with these really cool new technology that I'm pretty sure Jesus wants me to have. <laughs> Feels like it. I keep telling people that and they're like, nah, call is confirmed in community and God has not been telling me that for you, Pastor Tim. Live a simple life. And I'm like, ah, bad timing. Really bad timing to preach this sermon. Right? Um, Jesus actually says it's, it's really hard for someone who's very wealthy to get into heaven. He actually says it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why does he say that? Because... And again, I don't, this is not evil. It's just what we do as humans. The, the tendency to go after things and then hoard those things makes our life very complicated. Let me give you a perfect example. I own five cars. Because I want to? No. Because all my family has this opinion that they've got things to do and jobs to go to and lives to live. So we now have five cars, one for each one of us, right? And that makes my life deeply more complicated because nobody seems to know how to fix their cars. So if anything happens, they get a call. They're like, my, light, my, my engine light just came on. What's happening? And I'm like, you are in Washington state. I have no idea what's happening. What does your car sound like? I don't know. It just sounds like a car. You've all had, dads understand what I'm talking about, right? You've had these conversations where you're like, I can't help you. And then, and then you're, some, you're somehow the failure? Because you couldn't diagnose a 2009 Subaru from four states away? How is that my problem? I am not that good a mechanic. I'm getting a little too specific, aren't I? <laughs> Feels like I am. I'll, I'll move on. Um, okay, but, but it, it's made my life a lot more complicated because I don't know cars. And now I've got a bunch of them that I've got to keep going. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Simplicity allows us the freedom to truly seek the kingdom of God and not be burdened by that much. It goes against all conventional wisdom that we live by every day. But it's a spiritual discipline. How can you simplify your life a little bit every single day? That's one. Solitude. This is another one. Right? We all have a need for this. And you can see this because sometimes people, people step away, right? Some, some of you after church, like you, you can't get away quick enough. Not because you don't like people, but because you just need a little bit of time. Because being around that many people has really drained you, right? It's not good for your mental health. Some of you are the opposite. Some of you can't wait to be around people all the time. Both of you need times of solitude. And probably those of you who don't think you need it, you need it. Right? And that's me. Like, I love being around people. I, it's so exciting. Like, the saddest part of my day after church is driving home by myself. Like, where'd everybody go? But I know that I need it at times. You know what it is for me, if you want to know the truth? It's actually, for me, it's, um, 
It's, it's my cell phone. Like, I, sometimes I need solitude for my cell phone. I know that sounds weird. That sounds more like fasting, right? It's actually not. I actually need solitude because that thing is going off and on Saturdays. It's going off like crazy. And by and large, it's amazing things. People calling to say thank you. People, just really beautiful things. But sometimes I got to actually put it down and not respond for my own mental health a little bit. Not because I don't want to, so, but it's because, it's because sometimes like I need some solitude. And solitude is a funny thing. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, here's the scripture from it. Mark 6, 31 says, then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. The soul needs time to breathe and to exhale. Solitude is where we can make time with God to rethink life. Now, here's something interesting. I used to teach a class on spiritual, um, spiritual growth and transformation for nursing students at Azusa Pacific University. I did it for quite a few years. And we would go over the spiritual disciplines, but we'd actually engage in them. And one thing that we did, one day, and it was my favorite day because I didn't have to teach much, I would teach about silence and solitude, and then I would say, okay, we're going to do silence and solitude today as a practice. Um, so for the next three hours, I need you to leave all your cell phones here. I need you to take nothing but Bible, and you can take a pen and paper if you want to. That's it. I will have all the cell phones here. If something detrimental is happening and someone keeps texting, I'll come find you. But I, they'd go over the campus where we were over here in San Bernardino, and they would do it. And man, when I said it, three hours. At first, they were like, awesome. This is going to be great. Quiet time. And I'm like, three hours. And they're like, oh, no. Like, I got a lot to do. And I was like, I know, but you're going to take three hours. And they, one guy, I remember, he raised his hand. He said, so what are we supposed to do? I was like, okay, well, this is how it's going to go. You're going you're gonna to be by yourself, solitude, and you're going to think a lot. <laughs> and you're going to think about all the things you need to think about. That's going to be the first 15 or so minutes. And then you're going to be like, oh, I don't have anything else to think about. And then for the next 15 or 20 or 30 minutes, you're going to be really bored. And they're like, oh, you're really selling this. And I was like, I know, but you've got three hours. Then you're finally going to get to a place where you're quiet enough and your head is quiet enough because it's done all the things that it needs to do. It's finally going to get to a place where it's quiet enough that you can begin to listen to God differently. And inevitably, the responses were 90%, 95% really positive after the three hours. Thank you so much. I needed that. Some of that was because some of them would fall asleep. They would find a place to hide and fall asleep. I understand, I understand that. But by and large, it was positive. There's always one person who's like, nah, that didn't do any good for me. But what's funny about silence and solitude is that the first time it may take three hours to get to that place. But when you actually practice that discipline... There may be a point where you can move into that place where you're quiet enough to hear the voice of God much more quickly. So it's only taking you 10 minutes to find that silence and solitude because you've practiced it and you've become better at knowing what it means to finally get through all your stuff in your head and get to the God stuff of your soul. And sometimes it takes a while. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about fellowship and solitude. He says, one who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So we do need both, and I get that, and we should have both. The last one I'm going to talk about is submission. And this is another one that I don't think we get a lot from. Right? 
Mark 8, 34 says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Submission is the deliberate act of placing myself under the authority of another as an act of obedience and worship and trust. Mark 8, 35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. See, authority and submission are this kind of spiritual dance that we are performed in the spirit where mutual trust and safety are assured and where leadership is demonstrated in submissive humility rather than the exercise of authority. Last week, we talked about Jesus' yoke and he says, it's light for I'm a humble and faithful teacher. Ephesians 5, which is a, listen, Ephesians 5 is a lot, right? It's the submit text, right? At the end of it, I'm not going to exegete that at the end of this sermon. That's too much. But at the end of that text, it says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Does this sound like modern day Christianity? Because it has to. We have to learn how to submit to one another and submit to Christ first and foremost. But I want to posit this to you today as to why you need to be learning how to submit to the authority of Jesus in your life. The reason why you need to is because submission is not weakness, it is trust. And I want to say that again. Submission is not weakness, it is trust in a good, good father. It is trust in a God who loves you and cares for you. It is your willingness to put your family under the authority of Christ to put your job under the authority of Christ, to put your trajectory in life under the authority of Christ, to put all your desires, all your hopes and dreams under the authority of Christ. Your willingness to do that means that you're understanding what it means to really trust. If you've ever gotten a puppy, they're the best. And you know their puppy really trusts you when they run up to you and the first thing they do is flip over and show you their belly, they don't do that because they're afraid of you. When they're afraid of you, they cower in the corner. But when they run up to you and lay down and flip over, they show you their belly because they trust you so much. Submission is not weakness, it is trust. But this is just the beginning. There are so many more disciplines that we could talk about. There are a lifetime of disciplines to learn, experience, and practice that Jesus put into play in his life every single day. And understand this, this is the practice of heaven. And what I mean by that is that we've talked about Sabbath as practicing eternity, right? We practice what timelessness will be when we enter into a Sabbath with God. Well, as we engage in the disciplines, we engage in the practices of heaven so that when heaven comes to us or we go to it, we are not going to a foreign land, but we're going to a place that we have learned how to live in years before because we have engaged in the practices that Jesus showed us. This is what on earth as in heaven looks like. This is what it means to submit, to find quiet time. And I don't know what you think heaven's gonna be. And I don't know that I know for sure, but I'll tell you this. If Jesus is doing on earth as in heaven, then I probably should too if heaven's a place I'm gonna be comfortable in. 
If heaven's a place that I'm gonna understand and I'm gonna hit the ground running and not have to go through heaven 101 class, which seems like a lot. This is the practice where we learn to be citizens of heaven. And by the way, as we learn to be citizens of heaven, earth begins to transform just a little bit more. And the shape of heaven becomes more and more real in the world that we live in today. And the world needs to look more like heaven. And the only way that happens is when we get real serious about bringing heaven to earth by engaging in the practices that are made clear all throughout scripture and most profoundly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sure, there's work to do. Sure, there's a lot of things that we need to make happen. And my hope for you and my challenge to you today is that you start to be curious. You start to engage a little bit out of a time. Don't do all of them tomorrow like you'll burn out real quick. Start to engage a little bit at a time so that you might grow more into the being and doing of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads today. Lord of heaven, just want you to know that what you've modeled for us, we want to do here. So Lord, give us Give us time, because some of us feel like I can't do that because I don't have the time in my life. Well, you have power over time, so if you need to lengthen it for each one of us to do that, lengthen it. Give us the space so that we might see your presence and be transformed by who you are. And Lord, if we're to be these new wineskins that hold this new wine, we've got to be engaged in the practices that keep us flexible and keep us with the ability to hold on to this new wine and to give it uh, away as well, but not let it leak out. So Lord, as we worship you one more time today, accept our prayers. Accept them as what they are, humble thanks. May you continue to transform us today. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.